Today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. You say, well, I prayed Monday morning. I read my Bible, but you know, I got busy. I missed it Tuesday. I caught back up on Thursday. And oh Lord, I made that vow. Your time, your energy, your resources, the discipline, all those decisions. There is a, a battle, a war for your mind, for my mind, your heart, your agenda, your life, your family, your vocation, your hobby, everything. There is a conflict in the Christian life. Make no mistake about it. The truth is the devil has you in his crosshairs, but you're not alone in the fight. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Satan's Plan for Your Life, opening your eyes to the spiritual battles around you and giving you the proven truth you need to win. That's coming right up, so stay put. Here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Satan's Plan for Your Life. I was a freshman at the University of Alabama studying engineering, and out of a clear blue sky, through a series of events that I'll never forget and really never understand, God clearly directed me to surrender my life to a vocational ministry in the church. I was so far away from understanding the church or what that meant, I, I didn't get it. You see, uh, my pastor of my home church was a wonderful man, but church was a mild-mannered man speaking to mild-mannered people about how to be more mild-mannered. That's the church I was brought up with. But I went there and walked the aisle. They gave me a card. I didn't know much church. I filled out the card. They had no place to check what I was doing. And I just wrote, Lord, I give you all that I am and all I'll ever be. I didn't know what that meant. Oh, a few weeks later, the pastor called and in a stained glass voice said, Edwin, I would like you to speak in Wednesday night prayer service. So I consented. Now, my background was that anytime I gave a public report, I had to respond on my feet all the way through high school. Now I'm a freshman in college. I was ingloriously terrible. Uh, my mind went blank. My knees knocked together, but I afraid they'd miss and I'd break both legs. I'm telling you, <laughs> I was pitiful. Pitiful, literally pitiful, I promise you that. But now that God had somehow directed me to give my life to the church, most unlikely person I thought on the planet for a lot of reasons. So I memorized this thing and I had this overwhelming sermon that nobody would ever forget. Every gesture, every word, every enunciated phrase, I stood up, big crowd there, maybe 200 people, and I began to speak. And I'd been going about, oh, maybe five minutes and phew, blank. 
blank, blank. And so I just dropped my head and I said, there were teachers and family and et cetera. I wasn't married then, but Joe Beth was there. And, and I said, um, I don't have anything to say for God. I, I was trying to impress you with I don't know what. Now, I'm sorry, but I don't have a word to say. So I walked out the door, bam, got to the front of our church, and they had long steps going down then. I started down those steps, and every step I took, I said, when I must, <laughs> I'm out of this thing, <laughs> this church stuff. <laughs> Not for me. And about that time, I heard a voice, Mrs. Charles Walters, who was Jobath's grandmother. She was the matriarch of our church, and she thought fundamentalists were liberal. <laughs> Tough as steel. So as I started down those steps, she said, Edwin Young, I've committed the unpardonable sin in addition to failing. And I said, yes, ma'am. She says, come here to me. I did. <laughs> I didn't want lightning to strike or anything. And I went up those steps, and she looked at me and said, I was proud of you tonight. She said, if you're called by God, don't ever stand up and try to say anything yourself. If you don't have a word from God in his book, don't speak. You did the right thing tonight. You do that the rest of your life. Saved me for the calling that God had placed on my life. Therefore, you've heard me pray if you've been around here almost all the time. I, I just do it. I, I don't think about it. Lord, let me get out of the way so that thy word and thy word alone might be heard because I've got nothing to say, which is absolutely true. You know, my opinion, your opinion doesn't amount to too much. And so that's not just a little ritual. That's when I began to pray that prayer, and I have for a period of time. And here's the verse. I found it. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, it's after the passages we're going to look at that tells you what this is. Ephesians 6, verse 19, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. That's my prayer. It should be everybody's prayer who teaches or proclaims this word with boldness. God in charge, open your mouth to communicate the magnificent mystery of the gospel. Our scripture is parallel to that in my Bible. And it is the ending, this section, verse 10 through the ending of the sixth chapter, the study of Ephesians. Let me walk you through Ephesians. Would you like to do that? Ephesians, first three chapters of Ephesians says the world's in a mess. Paul says, this is your answer to your mess in that I died for you 
and you have been born again, and you are to be a part of God's answer for the mess the world is in. First three chapters of Ephesians. Doctrine, this is what you believe. The shed blood of Christ. Salvation, God's answer for the mess the world is in. And then the next chapters, four, five, and six, all the way through the ninth verse, says now, you are in Christ, and this is what you believe, and you are God's answer for the mess the world is in. Now, this is how you live. You believe this, says Paul, you live like this. And he tells us how we are to relate as husband and wives, how we're to relate as children to parents, how we're to relate as employers to employees. And the whole relation is built on, built on submission. Wife submits to the husband. The husband submits to the wife. The employees submit to the employer. The employer submits to the employees. And it goes right down the line with husbands and wives and children and parents and employees and employers. And the whole operative word is to submit. Position yourself under. And then we come to what should be the end of the book. Ninth verse, Paul ought to say sincerely, Paul, Tarsus. And maybe he does, but this section we're going to look at is sort of a, a P.S. I like P.S.s. I write a letter so many times I think of something, I'll scratch out something, or I'll add a little P.S. down there. You know, you put what you sort of want to say and should say in the body of the letter, but sometimes somebody else hits you and say, oh, by the way, P.S. Let me tell you this. And so I think beginning with this verse, this word, sincerely, finally, in verse 10, that's Paul's P.S. We're going to look at three or four verses there. I'm going to read a few. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. Why do you need to put on the full armor of God? in the world in that day and in the world today? You find the answer a lot of places, but the classic answer, I think, is in Isaiah chapter number 5, verse 20. Whoa, it says. Whoa, W-O-E. Whoa, wait a minute. Time out. Halt. Don't miss this. Stop the presses. Judgment. Be careful. Whoa. To those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, whoa, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Hey, wait a minute. Verse 21, whoa, wake up, whoa, to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Whoa, look out, judgment to those who are Heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Whoa, he says. Let's prepare for the teaching of the book. Five. 
Father, how we need not only insight, but the power of your spirit to live out that which most of us know and understand, but haven't really stood and put into practice. Lord, you speak and let me get out of the way is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever been to the Louvre in Paris, that fabulous art? Would you lift your hand? My, what a traveling bunch. The Louvre, I don't know if it's the largest place for fine art is collected and displayed, but it's certainly one of them. And, and you can be sure that some of the most magnificent pieces of art the world has ever known is housed in the Louvre. I've been there, I think, three times. It's been some years ago. And I tried to stay as long as I could, though I'm not particularly an art connoisseur, because it's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just, it's just magnificent. And uh, I've stayed the three times long as I could. At one time, I was abbreviated by three sons. They'd stayed far longer than they could. And, uh, but I feel like in my three trips there, that if this much art is displayed in the Louvre, I'd spend the better part of three days there. I've seen about this much. You know, you've been there. Isn't that right? You've seen about this much. And I understood about this much. <laughs> also, around the Louvre is a beautiful garden. And they've been there for hundreds of years, cultivated flowers, just really magnificent in appearance. But during recent days, last few years, those gardens have been infested by rats. And the rats now are everywhere in the Louvre. And they have plenty of places to hide, but now they don't hide any longer because they're very, rather bold. And they, people picnic there in the grounds of the gardens, and, and, and they just picnic right along with you. <laughs> really true. And they're growing bigger and larger and bolder. And a lot of people said, well, let's, let's poison them, let's kill them, let's trap them. And the animal lover said, oh, no, 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 no. Those rats have just as much right to be here as you do. And so the French have acquiesced. And so there are rats all around the gardens of the Louvre. Kind of like the world in which we live, isn't it? And the rats have advocates, a lot of them. Don't you disturb one of those rats. Very true. I mean, they don't think about the rats, all the diseases they carry. I looked up the diseases that rats carry, and it's unbelievable. It's astounding from their waist. It's just, it's unbelievable. But they're just, you know, they're part of the culture there, and and no, nothing wrong with those rats. It may be something wrong with you, but they're just innocent animals there. Don't touch a rat. Don't bother a rat. That's where we are if you ever visit the Louvre and walk around the gardens. Sound familiar? You identify with that? You know, are there any rats running around this universe, this world, our America that... They're passed off as A-OK, -okay, but really in your heart of hearts, you think, isn't something wrong with this picture? Isn't something sinister about that rat? Maybe something even 
evil? What if I gave you the plans to build a house for you to live in? And I said, here's the brick, here's the mortar, here's the carpenters, here's the plumbers, here's, you've got everything you need, go build this house. You say, boy, that's super, I've got it all. Yeah, plans, carpenters, masons, plumbers, roofers, I got it all, here's the land. Man, I'll go build that house. I said, oh, wait a minute, one little thing. While you're building the house, there's gonna be a whole lot of people be trying to kill you. You're going into enemy territory. Huh. That would change a little bit, don't you think, about building that house? A lot of of enemies around that want to take your life. This is where we are in our world today, ladies and gentlemen. There are rats running around. There are enemies there. And we've talked about those enemies in terms of the devil and his emissaries. The world and the flesh and the devil the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all of that is operating, and they're in, remember the no see category. Remember those little bugs? no see They're there. They're invisible. But they are working on you and working on me, and they want simply to destroy you and destroy me. Why do they want to bother with us? If you are a Christian, if I am a Christian, we're running head on with the hell in this world. Doesn't that make sense? How can it be any other way if we are a member of God's family? And therefore, Paul is telling us here, you've got to do two things. You've got to prepare for the battle of the evil and the sinister that is around you They want to take you out. Why do they want to take us out? So that you will not fulfill the purpose that God has for you for the rest of your life, and I will not fulfill the purpose God has for me the rest of my life. We're to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, right? That means we are to find out what he's up to in our lives, and we are to follow through on that as members of his family. And the evil one wants to destroy, weaken, and take you out and take me out. Make no mistake about it. So we have to be prepared for battle, for war. That's what Paul is telling us. Well, what do you do? He has two great little phrases here I I, I really love. He says, look at it in verse 11. He says, put on the full armor of God. Then in verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the full armor of God. To put on the armor means, well, put on means to kind of settle in, you know, kind of get in it, settle in it. I've got an old blue shirt I just love. I mean, it's been with me for eons. It's worn, it's, you know, it's genuine. I didn't have to buy it worn like they do now. You know, it really, it's it's reached that state in its own way. And I love that shirt. When When I get in that shirt, I mean, I just don't ever like for it to be washed unless it's absolutely an emergency. <laughs> and, 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 and I get in that blue shirt, and I just feel better. I just sink into it. That's what it means. Put on the armor. It feels natural to you. And then it says we're to be very aggressive, and we continually put it on, the Greek word. We just keeps on putting on that full armor. We keep on doing it. These 
qualifications, these different pieces that we'll be looking at in weeks before. We put on, we take up, and we put on, we put on, and we take up, and that's our defense. Then Paul tells us our enemy here. Do you see it there? He talks about our enemy. He said, we fight against the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against human beings, but against rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. In other words, there is a hierarchy of evil that is pitted against you and pitted against me if you're in Christ and I'm in Christ. And therefore, there is the schemes of the devil. How does the devil scheme? He's got your number. Oh, yeah. He's got my number. He knows every hole that is in you. Remember what evil is? A hole? Remember that? Every hole in you, he knows every hole, and he wants to fill every hole up with his schemes to destroy his purpose for your life. And so we see how subtle his scheme. How does he scheme? In a zillion different ways. I mean, he works on our minds. He works on us when we're on the mountaintop. He works on us when we're on the valley. He works on us in every kind of shape, form, fashion. That's the reason you have to have the full armor on. He can't leave any of the pieces off because he comes in so many different directions. And then he talks about not only is there a there is a struggle here. He schemes, and then we struggle. A lot of people think the Christian life is all peace, and peace is certainly a vital part of the Christian life, isn't it? We looked at Romans chapter 5 just a little while ago, remember? Be justified by faith, and you have what? Peace with God, right? We make our peace with God. Great. And then we turn over in Philippians chapter 4. He talks about we have a peace in Christ that passes all understanding. Boy, that kind of, that's great peace, isn't it? And then we know we read the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Peace is in third place. We have peace. So we, all the way through the Scripture, earlier you read in chapter 2 of, of this book of Ephesians, he's talking about we have peace. Peace is a big word, cessation of conflict, Peace with God, peace with ourselves, the capacity to make peace with others. That's what Christ gives us as we're in him, peace. But that's just part of the picture. Also, the Christian life is conflict. Is there any conflict in your life as a Christian? There should be. There ought to be. I think there must be. There is a violence in following Christ, a conflict, a war today. We have peace, but also there's a conflict. When a baby is born, I was not there when my three sons were born. I was in the premises waiting room, but I didn't go in the room. Back then, you didn't do that. I didn't want to. <laughs> One doctor threw me a green gown and says, come on in with me. I said, I think I'll stay out here. But how, how many of you have seen your, your child, seen a baby? Lift your hand. I mean, oh, yeah, it's the thing to do now. It's the thing to do. And when a child is born, there is a struggle, that, that first breath, and there, there's a struggle, and there's crying, and there's, it, there's some violence there, isn't it? The 
child is born, the child just lies there. You don't say, well, I guess she's got a phlegmatic personality. No, you want to, you know, slap, awaken, take that breath, right? And that's where the, there, there is in this world an agenda that's going the opposite direction, what a son or a daughter of God would be going. Therefore, there is conflict and there is violence. There's conflict in the, if there's no conflict in your life, you say, well, I prayed Monday morning, I read my Bible, but you know, I got busy, I missed it Tuesday, I caught back up on Thursday, and oh Lord, I made that vow, conflict. Your time, your energy, your resources, the discipline, all those decisions, there is a, a battle, a war for your mind, for my mind, your heart, your agenda, your life, your family, your vocation, your hobby, everything, there is a conflict in the Christian life. Make no mistake about it. And then there is so much conflict today because we look at the world and we see so many rats and we see so much the world is trying to destroy that which we think is good and redefined it as if it were evil. When the Roman Empire fell, just right after that, Augustine, 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 if you're a scholar, Augustine was the bishop of Hippo in Africa, and he wrote a book called The City of God. And he talked about the city of God. In the sense, the city of God is where God is sovereign. God rules. God reigns. There is love. There is fellowship. There is joy. There is worship. There is celebration. There is life. Abundant life, everlasting life, the city of God. In the city of God, they have no elections. He is king of kings and lord of lords and reigns forever. The city of God. We are Christ followers. We're in Christ. We're citizens of the city of God. Also, there is the city of man. In the city of man, there is capriciousness. In the city of man, there's rats running around. In the city of man, there are idols. In the city of man, there's all kinds of distortedness and confusion about right and wrong and light and darkness and bitter and sweetness, and that is the city of man. You say, well, we're part of the city of God, and the city of God may be in the city of man, but I'm just going to stay in the city of God. Let me tell you something. When there's trouble in the city of man, those who are inhabitants of the city of God must go and unmask evil because the city of man, they can't unmask evil. They don't see it. They're just caught up in it. And God should give us eyes that we go and we go to the city of man because we are to love God and therefore to love our neighbors and it's a part of loving our neighbors. Therefore, as citizens of Christ in the city of God, we get involved in the political process, not thinking that is going to answer the question, but to go there in the name of light and love and seek to set a framework for justice in our world. Justice in our world. Now, you say, well, you know, I don't know if good is passed off as evil, evil is passed off as good. Stay with me. 2005, two federal border agents 
about 40 miles down the Rio Grande from El Paso. They saw a suspicious van over there by the river, and they went over and stopped. One agent went over to check out the van. A drug smuggler jumped off and started to beat on him. His friend came out, and he ran in the bushes, and he took his gun and shot at him, didn't think he'd hit him. And he heard in a minute another truck start off, and he got away. They looked in the van. There were 800 pounds of marijuana. They confiscated, the smuggler got away, waited a couple of weeks, and the smuggler's mother called a friend on the telephone in the area and said, some border guards shot my son in the buttocks. That's a revised word for church. <laughs> and she said, I didn't think they could shoot an unarmed person. Well... Charges were brought against these two federal agents. A trial was taken take place, and they brought this drug smuggler on a special leave of freedom to come back to America and testify against them. They were convicted. One sent 11 years, one 12 years in the federal pen. Our border agents. Huh. The smuggler sued the government for $5 million for his civil rights were violated. He said in the court of law that he was running drugs so his dying mother would have medicine, but later on it was discovered he was one of the kingpins, one of the leaders of the drug cartel, and they did finally get him. Thank goodness for that. But these two guys served two years in jail, and the last thing President Bush did before he left office, he pardoned these two men. He should have pardoned the day they were sentenced. <laughs> Evil interpreted as good. Good board agents interpreted as evil. Huh. Boston Marathon bomber. Put in jail. There's enough evidence against him to convict him 400 times in any court of law. Heinous, vicious, radical, insane crime. They put his picture on the front of Rolling Stone magazine. Boy, he's a handsome kid. They, they put in the in the internet, they put a sort of a degree uh, uh, about him, what ought to be done. You know, nobody 19 years old should be persecuted. He, you know, he, he's innocent. He, he, he got caught up in fanatical Muslim. And, you know, nothing. And so in about two weeks, over 8,000 supporters signed up on his behalf. Too cute, too handsome to die. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Unfair. Had a bad home life. Evil. Twisted interpreted something that's good. A few weeks back, one of my personal heroes, RG3, playing football, Washington Redskins. By the way, the Washington Redskins, 
I agree they ought to change the name. The name is pejorative. It is prejudice. It is terrible. And it'll be taken out. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And the name they ought to take out is Washington. The Redskins and Native Americans are noted for their courage, and I think it's an honor, and most of them feel this way, by the way, by an overwhelming percentage, to have a team named after them. It reminds us of our, our heritage and our roots, and I'm proud of those people, and I'm proud that name is there. That's my personal conviction. Now, take Washington out of it. I think that helped. <laughs> but RG3 was playing in... His ankle went out of joint, serious injury, long time of rehabilitation. He is waiting to make, have a press conference on crutches. That just happened. And as he's about to go in, he has on a T-shirt. Look at it. See the T-shirt? Read what it says. No Jesus, no peace. Well, the Gestapo, the NFL, went over there and said, you can't go out on national television with that T-shirt on. And see, he went out, that's that T-shirt reversed is what he went out in. They wouldn't let him go out with no Jesus, no peace. They said, they said, RG3, you're, you're right of religion, freedom of religion, and you're right of, of expression. Freedom of speech, you have to put that on the one hold over here because of the rules of the very pious NFL. You might upset or it might be pejorative. Good, my brother. Spoken of as evil, you're breaking the rules. You're trying to say something that will cause trouble to the old National Football League. Let's bring it a little closer to home. This is not happening in the life of our church. If I have any good characteristic, that's the gift of confidentiality. I do not break a confidence. I don't go and say, I'm going to tell you this, but don't tell anybody else. <laughs> You're one of 400 I'm going to tell, and it's for prayer purposes only. No, 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 no. So I do not break a confidence here. It's, it's something I know about intimately, but not in the life of our church. Teenage girl, pregnant, unwanted pregnancy, went to her parents, told them. They cried. They embraced her. They told her, we're with you. Carry this child. It is our grandchild. We love you. Things are going to work out. She goes to Christian counselors of the church, and they love her and tell her that, man, this is, God's going to heal. God's going to use this in your life and make sure you, the baby lives. And, and then she goes and find, they find a couple. A couple didn't have a child for 10 years, and they wanted a child. And, and they met her and said, we'll, we'll take your child that, you, that you're not ready for. You don't want now and bring it up with love and Christ. And she's ready to you know, do that. Five weeks go by. This may be the sixth week. But somebody sends her to a secular humanistic counselor, and the counselor says to her, oh, this baby is a burden. You're young. This baby is a burden to you. And your parents are trying to control your life. Oh, 
What a terrible thing. And that couple, they, that needy couple is now pouring all their needs and think you have to satisfy the needs of that couple. And, and that Christian atmosphere, they're trying just to build wrong ideas in your life. And so now the baby is a burden and the parents are controlling and the couple is, oh, so needy and the church is manipulating. Good, the life, not the pregnancy, but good, the life that God has given there, good and holy and sacred, now is turned into something that is evil and wrong and a burden. This is our America. This is our world. And ladies and gentlemen, where were you? Where was I? When these judges were put in office, when these people were elected, when in your company and your marketplace, they said, don't wear that cross any longer. You might offend somebody. Well, I don't agree, but I'm going to have to go along. Where were we when our school system was stripped of any semblance of God? Where were we when all of this was taken out of our culture, piece by piece by piece, and now there are rats running around everywhere? Why do we keep putting liars in places of responsibility from CEOs to offices and institutions around our nation? And we sit back and we say, you know, I don't want to make any streams and, and I'm going to retire in a few years and this is not what they're like. When is a day that we stand up as Christians and march as an army and say, no more, no more, no more evil being spoken of as good? Stay standing and sing it with me. Sing it with me. Sing it with me. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before, Christ the royal master leads against the foe. Sing it. Forward into been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Well, before we end our program today, Dr. Young is in the studio to help us discover more about winning the spiritual war. 
Dr. Young, do you have any personal examples of how you have used the armor of God to fight against the attacks of Satan? Absolutely. He that is within you is greater than he that is within the world. I claim that promise. And many times when temptation comes in all various sizes, shapes, and forms, we have to remember that we have victory over that temptation when we call on the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you and lives within me. Therefore, in a sense, we do not have to stand up and individually put on all the armor. It's already there when we're in Christ. That's a part of salvation. We take off the old, we put on the new. We take off the old person, we put on the new person. And in that new person, we are clothed with the army of our Lord. All right. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.